statistic. Every 10 couples that get divorced, out of every 10 couples, eight of them say that their marriage fell apart because of financial problems. Eight out of every 10. 80%. And many people are not even sure how they got into their financial predicaments, let alone how to get out. And uh, the problem is, is this financial predicament or stress of debt that many people find themselves in causes them to respond in ways that are unhealthy. Many of them numb their anxiety about finances by drinking or smoking or overeating or other practices that can be unhealthy behaviors to try to cope with the issues in their life. When people are under financial stress, they tend to cut corners in areas like health care to pay for necessities like food. And small problems can go unchecked and turn into larger problems, and this leads to more stress. When you're under financial stress, people often experience trouble sleeping, which can add to sleep deficit, which impairs immune function and cognitive abilities and causes additional moodiness and more when you're sleep-deprived because of stress about finances. Credit card debt can cause unhealthy emotions that can take a toll on your health. People experience anxiety, frustration, a sense of hopelessness as the debt piles up and increasing amounts of money are used just to pay the interest. This causes additional stress, which compounds with the stress from poor coping and self-neglect to become an overwhelming amount of stress. It's like piling on. So it's no wonder that financial stress is one of the leading causes of stress in America. Did you know that stress can cause some serious problems in your physical body? Stress influence conditions are these. They're not limited to these. Things like depression, sugar diabetes, hair loss, heart disease, obesity, obsessive compulsive or anxiety disorder, sexual dysfunction. This is an interesting one. Tooth and gum disease. I found this on a website for uh, uh, tooth and gum health. It said, high levels of financial stress and poor coping abilities increase twofold the likelihood of developing periodontal or gum disease, according to a study released in July of 1999. Also, ulcers and possibly even cancer can be influenced by stress. So it's, it's been estimated that as many as 90%, everybody say 90%, 90% of doctor's visits are for symptoms that are at least partially stress-related. So the point is, it's pretty clear to me, that in order to be fit for life, a person has to become financially fit. If you are not financially fit, then you are not going to be fit for life. It's going to produce stress and unnecessary situations in your life that don't have to be there. So I'm talking about being fit for life. And some of you may think in your mind, well, this is church and discussions about my finances and money is inappropriate for church. If I want to go to a class for that, I can go to a class for that because God, God cares about my soul, not my money. Well, if you're saying that God doesn't need your money, you're right. God doesn't need your money. But if you think God doesn't care what you do with your money, you're dead wrong. Let me say that again. If you think that it's inappropriate to talk about this in church, that God only cares about your soul and not your money, if you're saying that God doesn't need your money, you're correct. But if you think God doesn't care what you do with your money, you're completely wrong. Because the Bible, there were 38 parables that Jesus told 38 stories that he used to illustrate his principles out of 38 of Jesus parables 16 of them had to do with managing your money 16 out of 38 so Jesus doesn't care what you do with your money obviously he cared you know that more is said in the New Testament about managing money than about heaven and hell combined the number of references to heaven and hell combined is less than the references to managing money in the New Testament. Five times more is said about money than about prayer. There are 500 verses 
about faith and prayer, but there are over 2,000 verses about your money and your possessions in the Word of God. So really, this book right here is the greatest financial manual that was ever printed. This is about managing your money. Can I get an amen? Amen. There's one interesting story in Scripture that many of you have heard before. It's the story of the talents. Jesus used this parable to illustrate what the kingdom of God was about. Many times before Jesus told a parable, he would say, The kingdom of God is like unto something. The kingdom of God is like this or like that. And in this particular parable, Jesus said, The kingdom of God, Matthew 25 and 14, The kingdom of God is like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. That's what the story's about. And of course, you know that he gave to one man five talents, which were coins or um, measures of money. To another man he gave two. To another man he gave only one. The point being, all of this money belonged to the man that went on the journey. It did not belong to the people that he entrusted it to. All right? The money belonged to the man that went on the journey, not to the people he gave it to. He gave it to them as stewards of the money. And they had responsibilities to be successful and productive with the talents that he gave them. So the point of the story is there's two implications Number one, everything that I have is given to me by God. All right? Who's the one going on the journey? Jesus Christ. He said, I'm going to prepare a place, but I'm coming back again. Jesus said, I'm going on a journey. Amen? And so when he left, he left with us, his people, certain talents. And we know it says the kingdom of God is like unto this. We're not talking about just random people. We're talking about people in the kingdom of God. So when you're in the kingdom of God, you must understand everything I have belongs to God. And everything you have belongs to God. And everything Donald Trump has belongs to God. And everything that everybody has belongs to God. The Bible says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Other people may hold a title, but God holds the title ultimately. It's all his, right? You believe that? And so the principle being in the kingdom of God is that everything I have, my uh, possessions, my money, my abilities, my strength, my health, all of these things are a blessing and a gift from God. And He is concerned by what I do. So if it's God's money, then He has rights to the money. And number two, if I'm only a steward of the money, I don't have rights, but I have responsibilities responsibilities. Are you getting it? Are you with me? It's the owner's money. He put it in the hand of the steward. The owner can do whatever he wants to with the money. That's why at the end of the story, when he came back and the one only had the one talent still, he took it from him. But that's my money. It's not your money. It belongs to the owner. You're just a steward. And he can do whatever he wants to with it. Amen. He has rights to it. But we as stewards, as we understand, and you understand, and I understand, that everything that we have is given to us by God. You say, but I worked hard for that money. How'd you work for that money? How'd you get out of bed in the morning? Well, I was drawing breath up into my lungs. Who gave you power to draw that breath up into your lungs and move those muscles and use that brain? That's an arrogant, sinful attitude to say that I made this money. That's the attitude of an unbeliever who doesn't believe in an all-powerful God. But an all-powerful God says, thank you, God, for everything. Thank you for the clothes in my closet. It's a gift. You let me have it. Thank you, Lord, for my house. See, it's a whole, a completely different attitude. Rather than saying, look how hard I worked and look what I have done and accomplished. No, it's thank you, God, for what you've entrusted me with. So it's God's money. He has rights. And I am a steward of whatever He blesses me with. And so I have responsibilities. Since all of my money is actually God's money, then every spending decision I make is actually a spiritual decision. And my checkbook or my debit card record is a reflection of my love for God. Remember, I'm only a steward. God actually is the owner. And I will give an account to God on how I managed His resources. 
So money is the real testing ground of my faith. There's a lot of things that, you know, we see as tests of our faith. But for some reason, there's something about this thing called money that it gets a hold of so many of us. It becomes a problem for so many of us. And it's something that God owns and God gave to us. And it is a test of our faith. Whenever somebody receives an extreme amount of money or whenever whenever somebody goes through an extreme amount of lack, it magnifies their character. You ever noticed that before? What does magnify? It means it makes it real obvious. It really comes out. If they have character flaws and weaknesses, they're going to come to the surface when there's an extreme amount of money available to them or they're in an extreme time of lack. It's going to produce and uh, make visible their true character. And so you will have things happen in your life that will produce worry and conflict and shortages and lack. And these things happen when you don't have discipline in your life in the handling of your funds. And you will continue to have conflict and shortages and a lack of funds until you achieve some discipline in your handling of funds. Handling pers- personal finance is more, is more than just a matter of mathematics. You may say, I'm not good with money because I'm not very good with math. I believe somebody can be good with money and not be good with math because it's not a matter of math. It's a matter of control, right? Control in all aspects of our life. So I have some good news and some bad news again today. Good news first. The good news is financial fitness is very easy to figure out and real easy to understand. You don't have to have a math degree. You don't have to have a philosophy degree. You don't have to be able to understand the ups and downs and the nuances nuances of logic. It's real simple. But the bad news is it's much more difficult to actually do and accomplish financial fitness, just like physical fitness, just like emotional fitness. It's real easy what to do. It's a little harder to do it. And the reality is the key to financial fitness is you have got to spend less money than you make. Is that pretty easy? Is that easy or what? That's easy. Every week, if you want to be financially fit, you have to make it a habit to spend less money than you make. Everybody said amen. And uh, I'll prove that to you here in the next few minutes. I, I, I saw a quote the other day that I thought was very interesting. It said this, rich people invest their money and then they spend what's left over. Poor people spend their money and they invest what's left over. What's the difference? The difference is when you spend, there's not going to be any left over. But when you invest first and then have the mindset, this is the first thing, and then spend what's left over. See, you need to understand, first of all, that God wants to bless you and God wants to provide for you. How many believe God wants to bless you? God doesn't want you to be in poverty. God doesn't want you to be miserable. God doesn't want you to be completely stressed out every month when the bills come due. Do you believe what I'm saying to you? God wants to bless you and God wants to prosper you and God wants to provide for you. In in Psalms chapter 35 and verse 27, it says it gives him joy to bless us. And it says, let the Lord be magnified, which hath pleasure in the prosperity of his servants. That means when we prosper, it gives God pleasure. I got to make this point to you so you understand that when you prosper, God gets happy. When you obey the laws of prosperity, it brings God pleasure. It's his good joy to bless you. How many of you want God's blessings in your life? Amen. And you may say, well, God doesn't want us to be prosperous. See, you've got to change your mindset and realize you're a child of the king. And if you have it in your mind, well, we've always been poor. This is the way it's got to be. Then you're always going to be poor. At some point, you've got to start looking through the eyes of faith and rising to new levels in your expectations. Can I get an amen? Rising to new levels. Now, if you go through your life and you just go through your life living with a poverty mentality, it does not bring glory to God. Amen? 
It does not bring glory to God. So I'm just going to give you some practical clues here and some practical tips of how to get financially fit. So the stress will be off so that your life will be more full. And ultimately, you'll enjoy the pleasures of life more if you learn to be financially fit. How many think that would be great today? If we left here today with some direction, some understanding to help us become financially fit, I'm telling you it's something that will affect the abundance of life. If I'm always stressed out about money, it's going to affect the way I come across to people. And how then are people going to look at me and say, that's the life that I want? Financial fitness is a part of my witness and being able to live a stress-free life. So I'm going to give you some practical tips as to how, as a Christian, everybody say, as a Christian, as a child of God, to be financially fit. The first thing is, I know that you knew this was coming, but it's from the Word of the Lord. The first principle is, before you do anything, you have to understand the principle of tithing, which gives God a chance to bless you. It gives God a chance to bless you. Let me read this whole portion of, uh, of Malachi. You've, read, you've heard portions of it, but I want to just read this whole portion. It says, Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, How do we rob you? The answer is, In tithes and offerings. And it says, You are under a curse. Everybody say curse. The whole nation of you because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. So the Bible here is saying that uh, the word of God comes through the prophet. That you're robbing from me, Israel. And they're like, robbing from you, God? How do we steal from you? And the Lord's answer is, in tithes and in offerings is how you are robbing from me. And uh, then he says to them, he says, bring all your tithe into the storehouse. But before he says that, he says, your whole nation is cursed with a curse. That means God's blessing and God's favor is not there. Rather than God's favor, it is a curse that's on the whole nation because you have not been bringing your tithes to the house of the Lord. And so there's not enough in the house of the Lord to do the work of the Lord. And so as a result of that, the curse is on the entire nation. Now, I, I want to help you understand this. I want to untangle this for you because this is a, a powerful principle that many people never learn. First of all, I've got to understand that I'm a steward of everything that God has given me. And he's got principles and things that I have to live by. And if I choose not to live by those principles, then I'm on my own. I'm on my own. But as a child of God, if I want God's blessing and His promise that there's going to be more than I can handle, more than I can contain, then I have to bring my tithes and offerings into the storehouse. Now, what does tithe mean? Tithe means what? One-tenth, right? Everybody understands that? Everybody understands that principle? See, here's the deal. I'm trying to help you. I'm going to ask you to put your walls down because what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to help you. Some of you are struggling with some financial issues in your life. You're going to keep struggling until you trust God. Until you learn to trust God. I'm telling you the truth. You're going to struggle until you learn to trust God. Here's the principle. A tithe is one-tenth. From the very beginning in Scripture... We see the principle that a certain things are holy to the Lord. You remember in the story of Adam and Eve in the garden? God said, you may take of every tree, every tree except one. Don't touch it. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't touch it. Because in the day you touch it, you'll die. So they can just enjoy, feast, have everything they want. But God says, here's one thing that you don't touch. And I've always wondered this before. I remember as a child wondering, why in the world was it bad fruit? Why would the knowledge of good and evil be something that they shouldn't touch? Is it, is it 
tainted or is it some kind somehow rotten? What's wrong with this fruit from this tree? And as I grew older and I matured spiritually and understood the word more, I realized it wasn't that it was bad, but this was something that God had set apart for His understanding and for His purpose. And then when they, they could have everything else, but this was not to be touched. And then this principle comes in the law of the Old Testament when the Bible says the tithe is holy and belongs to the Lord. It says exactly in Leviticus 27 and 30, a tenth, one-tenth of everything that you produce is the Lord's. And it is holy. What does that mean? What does it mean that, that one-tenth is holy? Does that mean when you get your check... And I got a check for $1,000. And so I go and I take it to the bank and I, I decide I don't want to put it in the account. I want to cash it all. And they're going to hand me back how many $100 bills? Ten of them. And all ten of them are going to be perfect except for one. It's going to have a big hole in it. Is that what it means? Is it, that, the, that the tenth is holy? No, obviously it doesn't mean that it's holy. Now, does it mean that that particular $100 bill is like, Spiritually pure and perfect? That's not what it Because the word holy in Scripture, are you with me? I'm going to teach you something here. The word holy in the Word of God, when it is used to describe God, it always means absolutely perfect. How many knows that the Lord is absolutely perfect? See, here's the difference between me and Jesus. Here's the difference between you and Jesus. Let's make it that way. Here's the difference between you and the Lord and me and the Lord is whenever God does something, his motives are pure. See, we can look like we're a good person, but we got some little hidden stuff down in here somewhere because none of us are perfect. And we try to be more like Jesus. We try to be more like God. See, God's holy. That means he's absolutely perfect. There's no hidden stuff. There's no crooked motives. There's nothing. He's absolutely pure and holy. So when the word holy is used to describe our God, it means absolute perfect, completely free of all flaws and any impurity. Now, but here's the interesting part. That same word holy is used to describe in the Bible, it's used to describe pieces of furniture in the tabernacle. It's used to describe clothes that the, or, or vestments that the priests would wear when they ministered. It's used to describe men in the Old Testament, holy men of God. And here it's used to describe one-tenth of my money. Now, I think you and I understand that when the word holy is used to describe these things, it doesn't mean absolutely perfect. What does it mean when it says it's a holy Ark of the Covenant? What does it mean when it says he was a holy man? What does it mean when it says, this tent is holy unto... It doesn't mean that it's any more perfect than anything else. And I, I use an example uh, in, in our class today about, uh, about this very concept that the holy garment of Aaron that was anointed, it was a holy garment. But that didn't mean that it was perfect or pure or flawless. What it meant was, are you ready? Here's the puncher. Y'all still with me? What it meant was it was set apart for God's use and God's purpose. So, Aaron, this is a holy garment. That doesn't mean that it has some kind of Holy Spirit in it and it can go floating through the house like Casper the Friendly Ghost. What it means is that it is set apart for a special purpose, for God's purpose. For God's purpose. So, Aaron, when you wear that garment, you only wear it when you're doing... God's work. And Aaron, whenever you uh, use the implements or the tools or, or, or use the furniture of the ark uh, uh, of the tabernacle, this is holy stuff. So you don't take it home. Don't take the ark of the covenant home to your tent and use it for a coffee table. Because it's separate and set apart. And Aaron, don't put on the holy vestige and go out and mow the lawn. Because it's set apart for God's purpose. Everybody get what I'm saying here? The word holy, if it's referring to God, it means perfect. And pure. The word holy, when it's referred to anything in this world, it means something that is set apart for God's purpose. 
And the Bible says when it's holy, it's set apart for God. And that's what the Bible is saying here in Leviticus. And it, it just became clear, so, so very clear to me. It says the tithe or the tenth of all that I produce is the Lord's and it is holy. That's why if I use it for something other than giving it to the Lord, then what happens? Then it is cursed. Just like if I touch the tree that God tells me not to touch it. Just like Achan went in and took the, took the, the gold bar and the garments. Uh, uh, Achan, I mean. The gold bar and the garments that he wasn't supposed to take in the city of Jericho. Why? Because that city was holy unto the Lord. It was set apart for God's purpose. And everything that they spoiled went into the tabernacle or into the what would become the temple. The point being, if I take or touch what belongs to the Lord, I can't expect to have God's blessings in my life. It's just a scriptural principle. It goes from dispensation to dispensation. Tithing proves, the Bible says in Deuteronomy 14.23, that God is first place in my life. Or in, in, in it says, uh, actually the verse says, the purpose of tithing is to teach you to always fear the Lord your God. And then Proverbs 3 and 9 says, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase, so that they, thy barns may be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. Everybody say new wine. Thy presses shall burst forth with new wine. And so the Word of God makes it clear that as steward of God's money, all He asks of us, first of all, is to give a tenth back to the work of God, a tenth back to the kingdom of God. And then the rest, if we will manage it wisely, God will bless and put His favor and His blessing upon everything. Amen? That we're left with. Does anybody believe what I'm preaching? See, here's the deal. It, 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 this is why sometimes this is not taught. Because when the pastor gets up or a preacher gets up and begins to talk about tithing, there's an automatic thing that goes off in somebody's brain, in people's brain, that says, you know what? He needs more finances. And so he's emphasizing tithing. And you know what? With my personality and my temperament, if that was the truth, there's no way that I would come out and do this. But the reality is I understand that some people are going to struggle spiritually and they're going to struggle financially all through their life because they haven't learned how to trust God in this and how to believe, amen, that God will take care of you. Now, it's difficult sometimes. It's, 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 it's tough because what you're doing is you're actually trusting God, whereas you've been trusting yourself. I've got to make this much. But by trusting God and saying, I'm a steward of what he has given me, I'm giving him the first tenth back, and then I'm going to be careful with the rest. I'm going to spend it wisely. I'm going to spend it in a way that brings honor to the Lord. Then you watch God begin to bless you. He says, now I can bless that person. It's a hard step, but I want you to watch this about taking that step of faith. Sometimes giving can be scary, just like jumping. But everything changed when I went out the door. It's a whole new world, spectacular views and feelings. Fear and anxiety, they, they stayed in the plane. But from this vantage point, it's just an awesome experience. And it's always nice when difficult things in life are past, like that jump. Being a steward can be scary at times especially when our mind tells us that it's impossible to do what God is asking us to do. Stewards put their trust in God, who's always trustworthy. And stewards put fear aside and trust God. He's faithful. The truth about stewards is that their thinking and their perspective changes. What we once viewed as sacrifice becomes a blessing beyond description. And there's not a feeling in the world Praise the Lord. There's nothing quite like taking that step of faith of trusting the Lord. Amen? The second point, if you want financial fitness, is this. 
Debt is dangerous. Everybody say dangerous. So beware. There's a Latin phrase called caveat emptor, which means let the buyer beware. Debt is not a sin, but debt is very dangerous. Proverbs 22 and 7 says that the borrow is servant to the lender. And then Psalms 37, 21 says, the wicked borroweth and payeth not again. So the first step to financial fitness, one of the steps is to kill debt and change your mindset about borrowing. In Luke chapter 12 and verse 15, it says, And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. That means wanting lots of stuff. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And uh, consumer debt in a person's life is a result of wanting, wanting, wanting stuff. I want to tell you about a a, a terrible disease, a deadly disease. Uh, It's called stuffitis. Anybody heard of stuffitis before? That means that's the sickness of wanting more and more and more and more stuff, things. And they get out the credit card for things to wear. Get out the credit card and and use credit for something for the house, something to put in the garage, a new car, stuff. But the reality is when we leave this world, we're going out in a box And when we die, all we take is our body and one suit with us. We take nothing else. Amen. Anybody heard that saying before? I've never seen anybody uh, with a hearse that's that's hauling a U-Haul trailer. Amen. And when things are valued too much, they lose their value. And because they nourish a never-satisfying craving for more. And conversely, when things are received as gifts from God and used obediently in service to God, you become enriched enriched with gratitude. Amen. Why don't we stand together and praise the Lord right now? Hallelujah. We're going to get back to this in just a minute. But let's just lift up our hands and thank the Lord for being good to us. Jesus, we praise you and we magnify and give glory to you. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you for the blessings, Lord God. That are so bountifully, Lord, and that pour out on my life, Jesus. I give you glory, Lord, and ask you to help us today, Lord Jesus. Thank you for the blessings that you bestowed, Lord God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're going to give us more, Lord God. And we're going to be grateful to you. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. That was a little praise break. You can be seated. Amen. And borrowing or taking credit in order to buy consumables such as gifts and vacations and clothing should be avoided. Did you know that banks are not nonprofit organizations, but that they have a product that they sell? What is it that banks sell? They sell debt. (laughs) They sell debt. I had an experience with a credit card recently, and uh, I found out I was, you know, I was going to get. However many days of zero uh, percent uh, financing. Anybody ever done that before? But what happens if you if you get one day late on a payment? It goes from zero percent to twenty four or thirty four percent. And not only that, but I, I, I was a, a, a few days late on the payment, and my interest rate went up to thirty four percent. And then I looked. You know what? They're charging me twenty eight dollars every month for credit security. Credit security. So I called them and said, I don't want this on my card. We can't take it off. You've got to call this number. I called that number. I don't want this on my card. Well, the problem was the number that they gave me to call was not an existing number. So I was stuck. And so they have all these schemes to try to sell you and get you trapped into debt. One thing to stay away from is 90 days, same as cash. Anybody heard of that one before? What does 90 days same as cash mean? It means that they price the product higher than they originally had to cover their expense. So there's actually no savings there, all right? And 70% of people do not pay within the period. And when they don't pay within the period, it goes up to 24% interest. Anybody know what that means? That means if you owe $100 in a year, it becomes $124. So, and these are the people they know that are more likely to fall prey to 90 days, same as cash. So beware. Salesmen are very skilled. There's a competitive business market, and they're highly trained. And uh, I remember when I was uh, on my honeymoon, 
It was a special time. I was in Cabo, San Lucas, and I was there. We were newlyweds. And guess what? We had money from the cards we got in our wedding and uh, had a few few hundred dollars saved for our honeymoon. But after that, it was like, I don't know what we're going to do. <laughs> because the Lord had led me to go into full-time ministry, and I had resigned from my job as a teacher. and I didn't know what I was going to do. But you know what? Nonetheless, we decided that we were going to take advantage of this deal in, in Mexico where they were going to show us their timeshare, and then they were going to give us these free gifts. So we wanted the free gifts. One of them was a dinner cruise. And we went down for the dinner cruise two days later, and the boat never showed up. But the crazy part was, I went through the presentation. I asked questions at the end. And then all of a sudden, I realized, this lady is not going to let me leave this room. I am trapped. Because effective salespeople, whether they're car salesmen or selling... uh, these uh, uh, timeshares, if they don't have at least five or ten answers to, I'll have to think about it. To keep you from thinking about it and from getting you to buy, then they're going to starve. They've got to have these answers. And so in order to have financial fitness, you have to take power over your purchase instead of letting the purchases have power over you. I learned from my dad watching him, and I'm not necessarily saying that I have this discipline, but he goes into a place to purchase a car. He's got cash. They ask him, how much are you willing to pay a month? My dad says, really, that's none of your business. I want to know how much the car is. Because they're trying to trap you into the interest, interest rate trap and really pay a, a funny trick on you. But I watch him get within $300 of the purchase price that he thought that the car was worth. $300 on a $23,000 vehicle. And they wouldn't budge. They got that close and wouldn't come any further. They said, surely you can come up. And they said, we'll split, that, split it with you, 150 each way. My dad said, no, I told you the price that this is worth, and this is what I'll pay. They said, we can't come down. My dad walked out of there over $300, which would have been, if it was a loan, a, 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 a six-year loan, it would just be a matter of a few cents every month. But he walked out of there because he had power over the purchase. But what happens to most of us? Oh, we fall in love. Oh, it's so beautiful. Smell it. It smells like a bur- Oh, it's, it's a new car. Look at, ooh, look at this gadget right here. i got to have that car. Never mind there's at least 1,400 just like it within a 100-mile radius of Los Angeles that you can buy. You fell in love with that very one. What happened? The purchase had power over you. The salesman took power over you. You've got to beware of these things and take power over your purchases. You're not helplessness, and you've got to consider before you purchase, what is my buying motive? And decisions that are made slowly are usually better decisions. Am I telling the truth? One of the best things you can do if you're not sure is to wait overnight. Nothing like a good night's sleep. And you wake up in the morning, and most of the time it's like, oh, thank God. <laughs> Whew, <laughs> I almost pulled the trigger. That would have been rough. Some of these things, you got to pay for them for six years or 30 years if it's a mortgage. So five questions to ask before going into debt is, number one, do I need this? Just like my daughter needs everything in Toys R Us, even though her closet's already full of toys and she has more than she'll ever be able to play with. And there's things that we have to sneak out the house to the Goodwill because we don't have room for anymore. She doesn't know about that. But she doesn't know they're gone either. Oh, is she here? Oh, no, her ears are covered. Do I need this? Number two, does my wife or my husband agree with me about taking on this debt? Because when you're married, you're one flesh, and so I can't make decisions about taking on debt without my wife being in agreement. Number three, do I have peace of mind about this debt? At one time in my life, I made a purchase, and I did not have peace of mind about it. I didn't have peace of mind about it. I didn't have peace of mind about it, but I went ahead and purchased it anyhow. And for the next two or three years, it was like, oh, man, why did I make that decision? I didn't have peace of mind about it. And the next question you need to ask is, how am I going to pay this back? 
Because the Bible says I have to pay it back. How am I going to pay this back and be realistic? Don't say, well, I can cut into my food budget a little bit and maybe cut into my gasoline budget a little bit so I can get this car. Be realistic about how you're going to pay it back. And then the next question is, what goals am I trying to meet with this debt debt that cannot be met any other way? Is there a goal that I'm trying to meet? What is my goal? Well, I want to have a nicer car than that person over there. I want to have the nicest car in my neighborhood. Or, you know, you, you know how you can talk yourself into things sometimes, and it's really crazy how we talk ourselves into things? For instance, uh, oh, my car, it's, it's, in, it's in bad shape. It's not dependable. It only got 70,000 miles on it. It's not dependable. Even though it's engineered to run 300,000, it's not dependable. Well, you know what? Change the tires. Get new brakes. Change the oil. The whole package may cost you $500. You go buy a new car, you're going to be paying $500 a month for six years. Now, there are consequences of debt. Debt is a bondage that destroys your relationship with God. And debt creates another God, the bank or the credit union. And debt also can destroy friendships. The question is, if somebody comes to you and asks you to borrow some money, here's a good principle. Don't lend them the money unless you can afford to give it to them. Don't lend them the money unless you can afford to give it to them. And if they say, can you lend me this money? If you can afford to lend, them to, lend it to them, but you can't afford to give it to them, say, I can't afford it. Because you really can't. Uh, because the reality is, if you give to a friend and lend them, and they don't pay you back, it drives a wedge in the relationship. Is this not true? It drives a wedge. You may not want that wedge to be there, and they may not want that wedge to be there, but every time they see you, they're like, oh, Lord. And you're like trying to do everything you can to make them not feel that way. That's why it's important not to loan money to people unless you can afford uh, to give it to them. The next point is, uh, after avoiding debt, is, is to work hard. God expects us to work hard. The Bible says in Proverbs 13, Lazy people want much but get little. But those who work hard will prosper and be satisfied. Proverbs 6 and 9 says, How long are you going to lie there, you sluggard? When are you going to get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit and scarcity like an armed man. God is saying, go to work. Everybody said amen. You know, there is one place where success comes before work. Only one place that I know of, and that's in the dictionary. Amen. So fight poverty the American way. Get a job. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians 3, 9, Even while we were with you, we gave you this rule. Whoever does not work should not eat. But we hear that some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work and wasting time meddling in other people's business. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we appeal to such people. No, we command them, settle down and get to work. Earn your own living. God's principle on work is in Deuteronomy 5.13. Six days shall you labor and do all your work. God worked for six days and then he rested. That means put in a good, solid week's worth of work. It's God's will for you to work and to work diligently. And I know sometimes work is hard. It's easy to get excited about somebody else's job, but you need to get excited about your work. And uh, if you're young, try to find a career that comes naturally to you. As I said, the key to financial fitness is to spend less than you make. Spend less than you make. Now, this takes discipline. As we said with the discipline of physical fitness is this. It's real simple. If you want to be fit for life physically, then you've got to burn as much or more than you take in. If I eat 2,000 calories, then I better burn 2,000 calories. Because if I don't, I'm going to get overweight. And so the discipline of financial fitness is kind of the opposite. You've got to burn less than you bring in. Burn less than you earn. It's real simple. It's absolutely a simple principle. Burn less than you earn. And uh, an important thing about spending less than you make is to avoid the lifestyle of something who's more, someone who is wealthy when you are not wealthy. Avoid trying to have that lifestyle. This is the biggest mistake that people make. They want to have the kind of house, the kind of car, the kind of clothes, the kind of lifestyle that someone who has sacrificed and is wealthy when they're not wealthy. And that's what creates great financial stress in people's lives. 
The idea is to figure out what your actual income is and live far below it. You may say, that's impossible. Well, it may be tough for a while. You might have to do, undo some messes that you've made. It is difficult, but it's not impossible. And uh, there may be young couples that have said before or thought before, man, if I could only make more money. If I could only make more money, we'd be better off. We'd be less stressed. We'd be more comfortable. More money. I've got to make more money. But the reality is, when they start making more money, what do they do? They spend more money because the amount of money is usually not the problem. Amen? The amount of income. Don't, don't look at me like that. There are people that live on $2 a day and survive. And you're whining because you don't make enough. You don't have enough coming in. The reality is the problem where your stress is is not how much money you're making or how much you're not making. The reality is that you keep raising your lifestyle just above what you're making. Here's the secret. Make this month, get this much money, spend this But with credit cards and mortgages and car payments and all of this debt that's available to, to take hold of, most people are living just above what they're making. They've got, they're spending more than they're making. And that's where so many people get into so many problems in their life. And there's so much stress that is a product of this habit and this tendency. And I can remember this. I can remember as a, a young married person, and, and my wife and I, man, if we only could make a little more money. And guess what happened? We make more money. And, man, we should have thousands of dollars in the bank now. We made more than we were making when we were in poverty. But what happened? Oh, got a little extra money. Guess we can go out and buy something now. Something we've been all we've been holding back. You know, we've been wanting and we've been saying no, and we we finally got this chance. So now, you know, that's the problem: is we live above our income, and we have more money, but we have the same amount of stress. We tend to raise our lifestyle just above our income. So the problem is not the shortage of money, but a shortage of discipline. You may be making only $5,000 a year or $15,000 a year or $50,000 a year or $150,000 a year, and you'll still spend it all and still be in debt because the problem or the issue is not how much money you're earning. The issue is that there's not discipline to live below the lifestyle. The question is, what do you do when you get a raise? Do you immediately begin to save more? Or do you go buy something else? That you've been wanting. And that's the answer to the question. That's where the problem is. The next point is, after you spend less than you make, is you've got to save money. You've got to save money. Everybody say save. In order to be financially fit, this is the point you've got to get. In order to be financially fit, you must save a little bit or some of what you make out of every check. Every check. I want to be financially fit. I got to work harder. I got to make more money. I got to work a night job. No. Just learn how to, whatever you make, save a little bit out of every check, and guess what? You'll be financially fit. You mean tomorrow I will? No, it's not going to happen overnight. I wish I could tell you that, but it takes time and it requires discipline. If you don't save some of what you make out of every check, you will never experience peace in your finances. Here's the deal. Did you know that the average American family does not have more than $1,000 in the bank? $1,000. I mean, that's like air conditioner system in your house goes bad. $1,000 is gone. The average American family does not have more than $1,000 in the bank. And here's another interesting statistic. The typical American saves only 2.2% of their income, of their after-tax income. 2.2%. That's retirement and and uh, savings, all savings of, of all kinds. And the average Japanese, the average Japanese saves 27.9% of their after-tax income. That's a big difference, isn't it? 2.2 versus 27.9. Why? Because our culture and our society has sold us on the idea of enjoy it now and pay for it later. Enjoy it now and pay for it later. And that's what produces so much stress in people's lives. 
and this lifestyle expectations of I'm young and I think I should be able to move out of the house and live just like my parents are living, even though they've been saving for 30 years. And they've been in the job market 30 years. And I should be able to drive a car like my parents. I should be able to have a home like my parents. See, that's the mentality. The reality is when my parents moved out, they moved into an apartment and didn't even have a bed. They slept on the carpet. And uh, so th- this expectation, it was a different day. And in our day, they sell so much debt and it gets people in so much stress and pressure because of lifestyle expectations that create stress and destroy savings plans. So many people are stuck in this situation that they work hard for their money, but their checkbook serves as just a clearing account for the people you owe and the stuff that you buy. And money comes into your account when you get your paycheck, and it all goes out instantly. Anybody relate? Don't raise your hands. I earned all this money, and it all goes out instantly. Only thing that happened is the names were changed to protect the innocent. So discipline yourself to save some out of every check. This does not happen automatically. And most people will say, as soon as I get that raise, they'll be prompted and they'll say, you know what, preacher's telling the truth. And as soon as I get my next raise, the first of the year, if they give me that 2% raise, I'm going to start putting that money in the bank. Anybody ever said something like that before? What happened? What happened? You're not putting the money, you're not. Because what happens is when that income comes, it's like so easy to to lack discipline and just begin to spend that little bit more. So the reality is, if you wait until more is coming in, you'll just spend that too. So at some point, you have to make a decision. You may be saying, I, I need a plan. I'm unfit financially. What do I need to do? The, 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 the bad news is you can't become financially fit overnight. But the good news is, is that today is the best day to start a fitness program. Today is the best day to start a financial fitness program. And I've heard people say before, back to what we were talking about earlier, that they never learn how to have discipline in their finances until they discipline themselves in the area of tithing. And when they establish the discipline of tithing, then they have disciplines in other areas of their life. But when they could not discipline themselves to tithe, they could not discipline any other area of their life. And so it's important to take the right steps to start the fitness program today. Finally, when you learn the joy of giving and you say, what does financial fitness have to do with giving? The way you've been talking, Pastor, we need to save and not give. But the reality is this is a Bible principle that if you give, it will come back to you. Give, or God gives wealth to those who pass it on. I said God gives wealth to those who pass it on. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will, will reap generously. And uh, when we have a mindset that says, what can everybody else do for me rather than what can I do for someone else? I want you to listen to what the Bible says in Isaiah. We're coming to a close here. Isaiah 58 and 6 or 7, it says, I want you to share your food with the hungry and to welcome poor wanderers into your homes. Give clothes to those who need them, and do not hide from relatives who need your help. If you do these things, your salvation will come like the dawn. Yes, your healing will come quickly. When you learn to give, when you learn to give to people in need, amen? When you, when you learn to help those that are in need, eh? that God it gives God an opportunity to bless you more. Because he knows you're not going to be stingy and you're not going to blow it and spend it. But when you learn to give, then God gives to you. Amen? That's why, you know what? I'm going to just say this. This is my little candy stick. Is I don't like it when people stiff a waitress or a waiter. That makes me upset. Because they're working for their living. And they're working there. And you know what? I think 15% is a minimum. And if you want a blessing, you can give them more. Oh, but that's wasteful. That's, that's not wise with your finances. You know what? That may be a mama that has two babies at home and she's trying to support them. And you know what? I'm giving to her. I'm not paying for my meal. I already did that when I paid for my check, but now I'm giving. You're saying, oh, you, you mean you can give outside of the church? Yeah, the, t- the tithe belongs to the Lord. You can give offerings above that to missions and to whatever gifts. But you know what? When you give to somebody in need, it says giving to the Lord. It's giving. 
and God blesses it. And, and it gives God an opportunity to bring blessings. And most of the great, wealthy, successful people in the world learned how to be givers. Amen? Hallelujah. And people could receive a miracle if they turned their attention away from themselves or their own needs and problems and begin to focus on being a blessing to someone else. Quit trying to be blessed and learn to be a blessing. Amen? And you may say, well, if I had that money, I'd help or I'd give if I had that money. But you have to start from where you are. If you don't have any money to give, find another way to give. Give time. Get involved. Help. If you want to be financially fit, somewhere along the way you've got to learn to give and not be stingy and self-focused. That's the problem with our society. That's why people get in debt. And that's why people are overwhelmed with stress because they've got too much attention on me and they haven't learned how to give. When you learn to give, it's like a whole rethinking. It's a lifestyle change. That's why going on a crash financial thing where, well, we're only going to spend this much on food. We're going, that won't help you. You've got to change your lifestyle. Mindset. Same with your health, your physical health. You can't just all of a sudden one day say, I'm going on a diet. I'm only going to eat 1,200 calories a day for the next two months. That won't work because somewhere along the way, you've got to come up with a new lifestyle. And the same is true with financial fitness is learning not to be stingy and not to think of yourself first, but learning to think about other people. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So what do I do now? What do I do now? I'm sitting here on the biggest guilt trip I've been on in my life, Pastor. I came to church to feel good. And boy, they sang so good and felt so powerful. And man, I just felt like I was almost ready to jump and never come down, just go right up to heaven. And now I feel like now I feel like I'm heading the other direction. So, Pastor, what, uh, what, what do I do? I mean, see, here's the deal. You know, when I was preparing for this, I, I, I was pretty comfortable preparing for the other two, but when I began to prepare for this sermon, I was like, ow, Lord, I need some help because I'm not in a financial mess. My problem is I'm not making much progress. I'm kind of stuck. And the reason is I don't spend more than I make, but I pretty much spend almost everything that I make. And I realized that these principles here that I'm teaching to you apply to me as well. Amen? And, and uh, so I, 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 the question is, what do I do now? Here, here's just an easy, practical plan, just a few steps, based on what I've told you today. The first step is, if I want to get out of my financial mess, this seems crazy. This seems crazy. If I want to get out of my financial mess, I'm stressed out. i got all these bills. i got credit card debt. i got all this problem. The first part is pay God first, 10%. Like, what? Yeah. Yeah. You got to get out from under the curse first. <laughs> Before you start messing with any of that other stuff, you got to get out from under the curse. Say, okay, God, this is the first step. And as I said, sometimes it's a challenge. It's difficult. It's not easy. I'm not saying it's the simplest thing. And sometimes it's a, uh, hard to keep on the discipline of it. But once you start, once you, once you get the principle, it's like, I cannot imagine taking what belongs to God at this point in at this point. And so that's number one. The first tenth belongs to the Lord. Now here's the crazier part, even crazier. Second thing to do is pay yourself second. Pay myself. Pastor, did you say pay myself? Does that mean I get to take myself out for dinner? Does that mean I get to go buy myself a new suit? Oh, Pastor, I like you better now. <laughs> Feel a little better. No, see here's the deal. If you go buy something with your money, if you made $100 today and you went out and bought a $100 suit, how much did you make? You didn't make anything, did you? You didn't make a dime. You just spent it. But if I make $100, I give God $10, and then I pay myself $10. What do you mean pay yourself? I mean put that aside and don't touch it. Put it into savings. Pay myself. See, because at the end of the week, if I don't pay myself, I didn't earn anything. I just bought a lot of junk <laughs> that's going to be thrown away someday and going to rust someday. But if I pay myself second, then at the end of the week, at the end of the month, at the end of the year, 
things are going to begin to change. And you're like, well, this won't happen. It's not going to happen overnight. You begin to feel the effects and the blessings of this kind of a lifestyle over the matter of years. But what happens is you learn discipline. See, I, I, I keep relating to this, but I was raised in a home where I ate every bite on the plate. Anybody know what I'm talking about? That's the way I was trained to do it. My wife was raised in a home where they were trained to leave a couple bites on every plate. They were trained, it's, it's more polite to leave food on your plate. I was trained, no, that, that's disrespectful, man. You've got to throw down every bite. But what happened is, over the years, it became a lifestyle. When I went into a restaurant, I was worried from the time I walked in until the food arrived at how big the portions were going to be. They better not cheat me on the portion size. I don't care how good the food is. There better be a lot of it on there. That's part of the mentality. And so, you know, hey, that's foolish, just leaving a little bit on your plate. But you know what? If you do that one little thing in terms of your diet, if you'll just leave something rather than eating everything on your plate, it'll begin to change your mindset, begin to change your approach. And rather than going to the dinner table like they just rang the bell and dive into the bar. It's like, okay, cool. I'm going to please my pate. It's going to be great. It's a different mindset and a different attitude. The same is true in finances. When you learn not to eat everything up and gobble it up and spend it and use it and put 10% aside, it begins to change your whole approach and you chill out and you become cool. First step, pay God first. Second step, pay myself second. Third step, get out of debt. Stay out of debt. Get out of debt. Stay out of debt. I don't know how many times I've heard my dad say this. Get out of debt and don't borrow money for anything except an appreciating asset, which is not your car. (laughs) But I appreciate my car. Yeah, I know. But it's not appreciating for you. (laughs) Real estate. And uh, get out of debt. Don't borrow any more money. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, hopefully I haven't told you just enough to be dangerous. But hopefully I've whetted your appetite to do some more discovery. There are good books to read. There are good budget plans that you can put, put a family on, put yourself on. I challenge you, in order to be financially fit, to get rid of some of the stress and the pressure, begin to take those steps that are necessary. It's a little tough right now. It's a little pinch right now. It's a little hard to take those first steps. But once you begin, you'll begin to see things turn around and change in your life. How many believe I'm telling you the truth? Praise the Lord. Let's stand together and give a hand clap of praise to the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I want to say a word of prayer for you. But before I do, I want to mention that next Sunday we're going to be preaching Get Fit for Life, Being Fit Spiritually. And so I believe that next week we can see some people be filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. How many of you believe that? We'll see some people baptized in Jesus' name. Because all of these things that we've talked about are very important. Physical health, health of the mind and the emotions and letting God change the way you think. Today, financial fitness. But the most important thing is that you've got a living spirit that's connected to God. And we want people to be spiritually fit. So I want you to pray about that. You can bring somebody out to the house of the Lord on Sunday. We're going to believe that people are going to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost even this coming Sunday. Amen. Hallelujah. I want you to join with somebody nearby. We're going to say a word of prayer and we're going to dismiss you in the name of the Lord. Thank God for His great presence and His power that we felt today in our worship service. And thank God for His powerful principles that have been communicated from His Word. Jesus, we thank you, Lord God. Hallelujah for your word and its power and its relevance to our lives today. It's amazing. It always amazes me, Lord, that a book that was written two to four thousand years ago is so relevant to where I am today and what I'm facing and dealing with today. God, your principles are the same. They never change. They're the same yesterday, today and forever. And while methods and circumstances and surrounding issues change, the principles of your word are eternal. They're timeless, Lord Jesus. And today, Lord God, I pray for my brother. I pray for my sister, Lord Jesus. Uh, 
I pray for my spouse. I pray, Lord God, for this friend of mine. Jesus, I'm asking that you would help us, Lord God, together to become financially fit. Uh, Hallelujah, Lord. Help us make the decisions and display the discipline, Lord God. Uh, Hallelujah. To begin to build up a, a savings account, not just so we can brag about how much money that we have, but so we can turn the tide on the stress of overspending and debt indebtedness and credit card problems. Jesus, I pray in the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. I believe this a step like this, dear God. I believe and I've seen that steps like this can be the most dramatic and dynamic steps that a person makes in their life about transforming their whole life and experiencing newness of life. I thank you, Lord, for the principles of your word. I thank you for the power of your word, Lord Jesus. And I thank you for every child of God that loves you and is trying their very best to please you, Lord God. Help us use the information and the knowledge and the insight that you've given to us today, Lord God, to become more like you, to be more what you want us to be, to be a disciple, a disciplined disciple of Jesus Christ so that we can live a life that's abundant. Hallelujah. So that our kids can look at us and say, that's the way I want my life to be. Hallelujah. Amen. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for your blessings. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for your kindness to us, Lord Jesus. Thank you for everything that you give me, Lord God. Thank you for my health. Thank you for my possessions, Lord Jesus. They're yours, Lord God. They're yours, Lord Jesus. Thank you for them, Lord God. I'm grateful to you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Hallelujah. I I challenge you to greet one another in the name of the Lord and share the love of Jesus. Have a wonderful day. We'll see some of you at Spanish service. God bless. Bye-bye.